and gentlemen, niggas and crackers, guys, gals, and, and non-binary pals, hot girls and city boys, saints and inks, and, and all, all our Harlem, Harlem family, family. Welcome, welcome to your very own podcast. To another episode of your beloved bi-monthly broadcast, Harlem's very own, featuring as always your three magnanimous co-hosts. I am Justin Winley, aka Black Magnus, aka Rumble Young Man Rumble, joined by my <laughs> Oh god, yo, what's up? It's Jude, aka Aku Ali, aka Sugar Stefanucci. What's up? Sugar Stefanucci. And our third mic, Mr. Ahmad Simmons. Oh, how y'all doing, people? How y'all doing? Uh, this is your boy Ahmad K. Simmons, a.k.a. the K is for Kang the Conqueror, a.k.a. <laughs> Eskinoa himself. How y'all doing? Love it. When, it, when the Love sun it. comes out, we get swole over here, okay? <laughs> Period. When the sun comes out, we get and swole over here. <laughs> we, are, we are rejoined by um, friend of the show, filmmaker and Brooklyn native, Mr. Wesley Andre Goodrich. Go ahead and introduce yourself. My full, go- my full government name. <laughs> uh, my name is Wes, aka Debt King, aka intern at the Black Excellence Industrial Complex. <laughs> Debt King. <laughs> we'll get into the Black Industrial uh, Industrial Complex, um, but I want to thank Wes for coming back on today. We are talking about um, some films. Uh, you know, we like to do the occasional movie review here when something's popular. Um, we're going to be talking today about Judas and the Black Messiah, directed by Shaka King, written by the. Um, Kenny, the Lucas brothers, Keith and Kenny Lucas. That was um, a surprise. Yeah, starring starring Daniel Kaluuya, Lakeith Stanfield, Jesse Plemons, and Dominique Fishback primarily. We'll also be in, uh, incorporating a conversation about One Night in Miami, directed by Regina King. Oh, yeah. Regina! Oh, yeah. Um, we like those. Uh, uh, adapted from the play that was written by Kemp Powers, uh, who also adapted the, the screenplay. So, um... Yeah, we wanted to come together, and we specifically invited Wes not only because he's a great filmmaker, but because he made a short film about Fred Hampton. I'd actually like to open up by talking about that. Oh, um, no. You directed and wrote "Good Night, Fred Hampton," which is how long? It's a short film. How long is that? I haven't watched uh, it. In a while. Yeah, uh, I think it's like eight minutes, nine minutes. I made it like yeah. two and a half years ago. But yeah, good night. Yeah, and 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 what I mean, what drew you to do that? Was that an assignment, or was it something a labor of love? Uh, well, I, I, it was a couple things. I mean, I like, I was applying to film school and mm. I had never made a film before, like myself, like I'd been on sets before, but I'd never directed a film before. Yes. Uh, and I was always interested in the Black Panthers. My mom is a social studies teacher. So like, I've, I've known about the Black Panthers for a minute. Um, and I think literally what it was, was I went to go see Black Klansman, the Spike Lee movie. Mm. And was thinking about, this is like right before we got the 800 Black Panther movies that are coming. But like... Mm. I was like, like, what is a, like, what is, like, why haven't we gotten a Black Panther movie or movies about Black Panthers, really? And Fred Hampton was the one that was closest to my age. And I was always interested, like, this 21-year-old guy that was, like, so threatening to the FBI that, like, yes, they, they shut him down. Um, so I did some research. I read, I read most of the book, uh, The Assassination. And then um, I wrote, I wrote something up that was supposed to be, like, a thought experiment about his last night. Because for me, like, A, I was a low budget, so I couldn't do the 
people wearing leather jackets and berets yes. and all that because that's a lot of money. Um, so I was like, what what does it look like if if we take the last twelve hours of his life and make that like a short? So that's what it was. Mm. Yeah, yeah, really well done, and uh, we'll it's circle dope. back to it for like you know a little bit of tit for tat later on. But um, basically, the way we're gonna run this is um, we're gonna start with initial impressions of the of the movie Judas and the Black Messiah. You've all seen it by now. It's out on HBO Max for the audience listening. Um, I wanna I wanna go to you first, Jude, uh, my co-host, sir. Um, uh, what did you think about the the film initially? Initially, I thought it was really dope. I liked, I really enjoyed how well it looks like an actual biblical story. Mm. You know, like I, my I'm I'm not a religious person, so I didn't grow up going to church or anything like that. But my mom had me watch uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, and mm. it moved the same way as Judas and the Black Messiah. Obviously, without the songs and dance or whatever, but you know. Um, William O'Neill being the Judas, it's starting with him and his whole story, his arc of how things were going down, and then you see Jesus, the Messiah, Fred Hampton, arise, mm-hmm. and he's just talking to the people, getting everybody excited, um, invigorating everybody's spirits, going to jail, being condemned, and then being crucified. And then, in spoiler alert, spoiler alert, but. It's not that much of a spoiler because he's no longer with us. For history. Spoiler alert <laughs> yeah. for real history. <laughs> yeah, but the in the last scene, it looks like the Last Supper. You know, mm. all of them sitting in his in his mm-hmm. house, eating, having a conversation, whether he um should escape or not. Mm-hmm. But him like, nah, I'm gonna stay here and do what I need to do for the people. But it's also like, yo, like you're gonna get popped. And it also reminds me of back in my philosophy classes, because this is what I'm doing now, because I'm back in school, is um, Socrates. You know, mm. all these people are trying, yo, Socrates, let's get you out of here. Let's exit, you know, but then he'll have to be exiled and not, you know, go forward with his demise. And I think Fred Hampton knew that, and he wanted to continue his work, but he knew his demise was coming, and if he maybe escaped, it could have put his people in even more danger. But everyone's screwed anyways. So yes. I liked how, you know, the biblical side of it really was put forward. And it was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well said. Ahmad, your initial thoughts? Man, that movie was powerful. I, I, I ain't mm. even going to lie. Uh, I was just, I was blown away by Daniel Kaluuya's um role and, and how he portrayed as Fred Hampton because nobody really knew what they would be expecting um from Daniel himself. Like him he's in his thirties now, right? Portraying a yeah, he's 31. He's yeah. 31, yeah, and you know portraying he's older. Yeah. He look yeah he looks older bro. Twenty <laughs> one year old man. But I I, for one, was really surprised and also just uh, proud of what he did with 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 the role of, of Fred Hampton. And I do agree, um, Julia, that it's, it was basically symbolic, but also it, it, it reminded you of how um, Jesus' followers were always with him. And, you know, he's, he's just um, wanting to do right for the community, but also, oh, man, I I I I just I, I'm gonna give him a nice little hand clap for 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 for, for Daniel because it was it was it was downright amazing. But also it made me, oh man, Lakeith, 
made me not like him the entire <laughs> movie. Like when they first introduced him, I was like, "This is gonna be bad. This is gonna be really bad." And also, spoilers for for the people that are in that 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 are gonna watch the movie. But you know, he really did it for a shitty compensation. It was mm. pretty shitty, and for mm-hmm. him to just have this selfish mind as he's walking through the Black Panther headquarters trying to um, win their side and 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 um, just staying out of their way. And he's like, oh, I don't want to do this no more. But the cop is like, but you're going to have to or you're going to go to jail. So he's just doing all this shit for himself. And then you're going to change, have a change of heart at the end when you cry in front of Fred Hampton saying like, okay, I'm, I want to get you another drink. It, it 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 just made me so mad at the end about um William O'Neill. Mm-hmm. It, it it just fantastic film. Fan yeah, fantastic. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. But it, it, it just hit hard. So yeah. Yeah, we'll crack that open more when we when we get through the plot summary. Uh Wes. Uh I didn't watch it. No. Uh I, <laughs> I um I thought this is like, well, first of all, the acting is like amazing. Like we've all touched on the acting, but like, I I remember when I when I watched this, I texted uh, Justin. I was like, like this is like one of the best performances I've ever seen from Lakeith, like ever. Yeah, it's a good uh, one. And like Daniel is the flashier performance, and I think I mean he's great. Like Daniel Kaluuya is like top three best actors working right now. But I mm-hmm. think also Lakeith is kind of like the hidden the hidden great performance because he has to do so much and a lot of the movie is on his back. You know what I mean? Like yeah. a lot of the movie is resting on like the camera's resting on his face the whole time. And I think he does an amazing job. And I think if you had gotten a lesser actor, the movie actually fundamentally doesn't work because Lakeith is doing so much. You know what I mean? And we're, and we're supposed to like what you guys said, like we're supposed to sympathize with Judas. You know what I mean? Like we're supposed to go, Oh man, like if I was in that situation, what would I do? And if you don't have a good actor playing that role, you don't care. Like you're like whatever. Like he's he, you know he's he's a snitch and whatever. Um, right. I think it's a it's a well made film. I think the directing is incredible. I think um, all the casting is really great. Um, yeah, I th- I think I think in terms of kind of the introduction, the cinematic introduction to the Black Panthers, because this is the first major one we've gotten. Um, yeah. I think I think it's definitely like interesting, and it's an interesting like. Uh, kind of like summation of like the Black Panther iconography that we've gotten for the last 10 years. Cause you know, with mm-hmm. and Kendrick specifically, and even J Cole a little bit, we've seen the Black Panthers aesthetically come back. And I mean, mm-hmm. with the, especially with the Super Bowl performance. And I think this movie is riffing on that in an interesting way. And like, going, yes. you know what they look like, but this is who they were. You know what I mean? Um, yes. So I'm, I'm interested. I'm also interested in like how much of a crime movie it is. Like it kind of feels more like, uh, taxi driver or something than like uh, Selma, which you can talk about. But, but overall, right. I think yeah. it's a really well made movie. Yeah, so I I I I agree with you, Wes. I think that this movie is definitely um, doing something with the civil rights biopic genre that's a little different. You know, Shaka King describes it as the Departed within the world of COINTELPRO. Um, and it, it definitely is a crime uh, thriller. Uh, he, he said that he's particularly fond of like 70s crime thrillers. So you can feel that aesthetic here. Um, I'm very, I'm, I'm really excited to get into it more with y'all because um, I've read, 
I read a, a review by Angelica Jade Bastian on mm-hmm. Vulture, and I respect her uh, very much as a Great critic. And yeah. She had very negative things, in fact, to say about really? the film. And, and particularly about the performances. Um, she didn't Ooh. think that, um, for example, like the things that I, and I agree with you, Wes, and, and, um, and, and uh, Ahmad and Jude, I think that Lakeith's, I thought his performance was really strong. Very, um, I think he really captured what it would be to have to suppress like your, first of all, to be a confused person about exactly what your place is in the world and then to have to suppress like your actual personality to be like this spy when that's not any, that's you haven't ever had an education in that or anything like that. Right. Um, He's but a you child. Know, right. And, He's 17 and he, when he gets um, yeah, brought in got by the cops. Yeah, and I think this is this is the first thing that I kind of want to talk about in terms of the film is that I I do even though I like the performances I do wonder if it wouldn't if it would have hurt the film to cast younger actors. Yeah, because I'm looking at like you have Ashton Sanders in this movie, Mm -hmm. you could have just made him uh, Bill O'Neill. Right. You know, I don't see why he couldn't have played that character. And then I was saying to Wes, Jarrell Jerome could have done Fred Hampton. Could have. Probably. I mean, you know, he's he I think he I think he looks a bit more like Fred Hampton did. Yeah. And he's twenty he's twenty three years old. Ashton is twenty five. It's not pitch perfect, but it's closer than Lakeith, who's twenty nine, and Daniel who is thirty one. Yeah, it's um, like Tobey Maguire playing Spider Man. Like right. <laughs> now, collecting was collecting social security checks when he did that first Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tobey Maguire was forty three years old by the time Spider Man Two came out. Um, yeah. No, but uh, uh, I think when you look at footage of Fred Hampton, you do see he does look, and we indicated this, like older than he is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he doesn't look like a rec- like a twenty one year old necessarily. Um, that or the average twenty one year old. Then again. You know, we're, we're all in our yeah, we're all in our early twenties, and some of y'all look kind of, some of y'all look kind of old. I don't know, Ahmad, you got like facial hair. Wow, <laughs> wow. Listen, you don't want the glasses. <laughs> you right? I, These are blue lights. I've literally grown out this beard so that people stop making fun of that I look like a kid. Wow. <laughs> you will get that for I mean, the next no. three years, okay? They they're still gonna say you you a fucking kid. <laughs> it's actually crazy, Wes, because as as little facial hair as I have. If I shave this mustache, people are like, "Are you 15?" <laughs> <laughs> and this is like a this is like an Alfred Pennyworth like pinstripe mustache, and they're like, "Wow, it, it makes such a difference." So, yeah, facial hair is apparently something. Um, but yeah, I think that was one thing that going in, I was a little trepidatious about. It doesn't necessarily diminish from the movie. I think no. if you went into the movie and you didn't know who Fred Hampton was, you could watch this and be like, "Wow." But knowing the history, you're kind of like. Eh. Um, some things that I thought were interesting, I found out that uh, Captain Judy Harmon, who's played by Dominique Thorne, was not a real person. Uh, she was basically created for the film because there was research that suggests that there were female members of the security cadre in the Illinois chapter. The one that was kind of gangster? The one that was like... Yeah, the uh, one that, that yeah, shook yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that shook him down um, for like, yo, you a snitch? Like, what's yeah. all that? Right, which, is, which is a fantastic scene. And we'll that get was kind of, yeah, that was dope. Uh, I was about but, to shit myself. I was like, "Yo, it's over already." Like. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah. So Captain Judy Harmon, that character was was manifested for the film. Um, I really enjoyed Dominique Fishback, who played. Um, hold on, let me get the name. Deborah Johnson, now known as mm. Aqua Nigeri, mm. um, Mama Aqua, uh, or Akula. 
but yeah, she was really good. Very, I saw her in Power, that movie that wasn't that great in my opinion, the Jamie Foxx, um, oh. Limitless, take a pill and get superpowers five minutes movie. I did not watch um, that. I chose not to. She's really, yeah, she's really she's good in that. Very sensitive looking, and that, and I think she's very, she definitely carries that. Um, yeah, overall, I think the the movie looks good, uh, is acted well, but I think where uh, Jesse Plemons, fantastic. Jesse Plemons is my dude. Too Yo, good at yeah, too rem- good at playing these types of roles. I remember him playing this football character in Friday Night Lights, along with Michael B. Jordan playing another football oh, yeah. character, and he was just like this nice kid in the in the show. But now he's just this evil dude. <laughs> Every time I see this guy, I, I'm just proud. Of, I'm just proud of him. I'm like, yo, you came a long way, man. <laughs> like, shouts out yeah. to you, kid. Because he was, a, he was a black knight. Like, was he? Yeah. Yeah, yo, he played the bully. He was the bully, bro. Wow. He, he shook down backlog. He's been beating up on black people for a long time. Damn. <laughs> he came a long way, bro. He came a long way. I was very impressed by, by, by what he did. Very impressed. Yeah, I was talking to Wes, and I was saying that this guy, Jesse Plemons, and I had first seen him in Breaking Bad, um, where he played a similarly, um, you know, a very different kind of unbearable character. But I was, th- I, w- I feel like he, I was looking at him in this, I was like, Give me Philip Seymour Hoffman vibes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Definitely reminding me of Philip Seymour. And it's funny because he played his son in the film called The Master. Great movie. Um, yeah. He has a lot of his, like, just that very calm, icy danger to him, mm-hmm. you know? But it's interesting because the character that he's playing, Agent Roy Mitchell, was also involved in apparently solving the murders that are the basis for Mississippi burning. Oh, for real? Solving. Yeah. Holding up quotations. Yeah, because when I looked it up, I couldn't find like anything that he directly did, but his name is attached to it in some places. Like I read his obituary. Um, so, and he actually had nine implants within the the the, the Panther Party. Um, uh, the, the Illinois chapter. I think. Well, I don't know if it was all Illinois, but I guess O'Neill was the most um, renowned one. But yeah, so I mean, those are my initial thoughts. I, I think it's good, and then there's some stuff we can get into politically that um, we Definitely. can start talking about later. But let's just start with the with the plot. So um, we're in the late 1960s when 17 year old petty criminal Bill O'Neill is arrested in Chicago after attempting to hijack a car while posing as a federal officer. Mm-hmm. He's approached by FBI Special Agent Roy Mitchell, who offers to have his charges dropped if he works undercover for the bureau. O'Neill is assigned to infiltrate the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party and its leader, Fred Hampton. So that that opening sequence I thought was pretty effective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, him him rolling up in there, holding the badge out, and then with the hat on and everything. I mean, that is probably the youngest he feels in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Probably because they, I feel like they gave him oversized clothes, like so that he would kind of yeah. sneak into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he runs into that gang the, with the green berets that. Mm-hmm. The Hampton crowns. Later, the crowns, yes, thank you. Uh, that Hampton later tries to unify with. Um, but yeah, him getting in the car and then getting pulled over. Interesting sequence there. Um, then he, he begins to grow close to Hampton. You know, we meet Fred. I think we actually first see him at the uh, at the high school, which is where he like he's given this speech about um, oh it was something to do with faculty. Like some faculty member got switched around and the BSU was happy about it, and then Fred Hampton was like, No, that's not enough. Um, and then uh, Deborah Johnson came up to him and said, uh, you know, maybe you should be a little bit nicer when you talk to people, yada, yada. Are you a poet? That whole thing. Their relationship starts. But this is the first time we see Daniel Kaluuya um, in the role. Now, there was something that was in the 
the Bastien review that I thought was interesting that basically she felt like he was kind of a, um, he, she didn't feel he was fully fleshed out as a human, Mm -hmm. but that he felt more like a, like a walking rally, you know, like he, every time he was in a scene, he was giving a speech Mm. for the most part. Well, I, I, I go, I'm sorry, Jude, go ahead. Now you say, dude, go, no, my paper scissors for this. (laughs) Go ahead, bro. No, I, 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 my, my thing about it is, and I think the reason why Daniel Kaluuya performance is getting all the heat, like, I think he's going to get nominated for it and all that, um, is because it is so flashy. Like, I think a lot of the performance is him giving speeches. Uh, and I think the danger, uh, especially in a movie that's like this well constructed, that looks this good and is acted with this caliber is like, I actually don't know how often we see Fred Hampton like as a, a, a person. You know what I mean? Like we get that scene with him and Deborah uh, when they're flirting, and then we get him a little bit later when they're talking in bed together. But otherwise, it that was one criticism that I did I did see because I was like I I don't and the movie isn't about him necessarily, so I get it. But I was I do think there are parts in the writing where we're missing I'm missing him as a person. But go ahead. I thought about a I thought a powerful joint was him when he was talking to Jake Winter's mom. Oh yes. Yes, I forgot mm-hmm. about that. Yes, yes. That's a good and, scene. And also what we have of Fred Hampton is a lot of his big speeches. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, if we have a, a a movie about Martin Luther King for example, we have a little bit more footage of him. It's not just yeah. him saying uh, I have a dream speech. It's him like doing the press conference and him you know, in that different tone of voice with a more inside voice rather yeah. than outside, you know, or right. same with, or same with Malcolm X or Ali, but right. with Fred Hampton, it's him. I am a revolutionary. Like, <laughs> right. And, and I, it's funny you did that. Cause I, I, I was, um, <laughs> I had to look this up cause I was listening to Kaluuya perform in that first scene. And I was like, why does he sound familiar? And then I was like, Yo, he kind of sound like Bernie Mac. <laughs> and then I was like, oh my God. Where is Bernie Mac from? Bernie Mac's from Illinois. Yeah. And then I was like, yo, Daniel Kaluuya could play Bernie Mac. <laughs> he oh kind of looks more you like Bernie oh Mac. <laughs> You're right? I ain't scared of you, motherfucker. Look at a picture of Daniel Kaluuya right now. <laughs> oh, stop it, man. He's going to play the, the preacher from Friday. <laughs> that's actually that's actually mad good. Like, you could right? actually that. It was, it like, was. I don't know, man. I was listening to it. I was like, you're kind of just doing a Bernie Mac voice. Yo. I mean, like, not, he is, I, I don't mean to diminish it. He is doing the nah, Fred Hansen voice. Great, like, yeah. that Chicago accent is so, mm-hmm. I guess, strong. And, you like, know, I, there was literally a point, the way he was talking, like, this. Yo, like, yo, like, I was like, that's Bernie Mac. It. You know what he should do? You know what they should do? They should do a, a, a sequel to Soul Men and have Daniel and Samuel Jackson do a scene together. <laughs> no, actually, you know who it would be? It would be it would be Daniel and Anthony Mackie because Anthony Mackie is kind yes. of the new Sam Jackson in, yes. in, in a lot of ways. He don't um, say motherfucker enough. They should play the same <laughs> characters that they played in Soul Men 1 and just not comment on the fact that it's different actors. Yeah. <laughs> or that they're 30 years younger or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, I, I, I digress. Yes. So, um, uh, yeah, so Kaluuya, uh, he gives this, well, not Kaluuya, but, uh, Hampton gives this speech at the high school and then we get to see a little bit about, um, how the, how he runs the Panther party. There's that scene where he's like, you know, uh, politics is war without bloodshed and war is politics with bloodshed, which I thought was a very interesting, uh, clip. And that's a real thing, obviously that Fred Hampton said, um, 
uh, at one point. Um, oh, that's what we were talking about. We were talking about the humanity of him. Yeah, that was that's a really good point. Um, I mean, I do think that there are scenes that they try to stick in, like you said, Jude. Uh, the the scene where with uh, his friend's mother. The scenes, really, the scenes that are trying to humanize him are with, uh, are with his wife, but or his girlfriend. But um, that's what I was gonna say is that it's like Judas and the Black Messiah, meaning that they have to make they. I guess they focused on making Hampton feel as large as possible mm-hmm. because they were drawing this connection between how J. Edgar Hoover perceived him and all this stuff. Um, and we can talk a little bit about how the FBI is portrayed in this movie because oh, I think yeah. that. I think that it's it's mostly like it's pretty damning, um, but I wonder you know if they could have gone any deeper with it. Um, so yeah, we meet. Uh, he he begins to grow close to Hampton, who works to form alliances with rival gangs and militia groups while extending community outreach through the BPP's uh, free breakfast for children program. Um, he eventually forms the multiracial Rainbow Coalition, which was like the biggest thing that Hampton ever did. That was dope. Yeah, it's a little bit glossed over in this, but like you said, Wes, it's that balance between is this about Fred Hampton or is it about O'Neill or is it about both of them and how much can we leave in? Um, He falls in love with Deborah Johnson Mm -hmm. and then O'Neill is relaying this intel to Mitchell who in return compensates him. When a fugitive party member, George Sams, hides out at the local BPP office, O'Neill learns from Mitchell that Sams is an informant whose presence in the Black Panther Party office offices allows the Bureau to obtain search warrants. So yeah, that was shaky, yo. Just them talking about like how they how they uh, captured that he framed that other guy for being an informant, and then they tortured him. But he was an informant. Him. I think Alex he, Wakely was. Wasn't he? Well, no, well, because remember when? So Mitchell goes into the off his superior's office, and he's like, "Hey, uh, O'Neill just came to me about this informant guy," and then the guy's like, "Oh yeah, I know." It was um, yeah, it, Sam's was the informant, but he plant he he blamed the other guy, which is why the other guy got killed instead of Sam's. Is what yeah. I thought they were saying, which is why Mitchell is like, uh, so are we just letting? I mean, that's murder, right? Like that's uh, manslaughter or something. He's like, yeah, but it doesn't matter. They're all savages, you know that whole thing. Right. Um, yeah, he looked pretty I, shook in that. I don't know how real that is, but right. he he was like taking back, like, wait. wait, wait. I'm all for taking down the Panthers, but yo, that's just murder, yo. Right. Well, there's always like, that moment. In, there's always that moment in movies like this, um, where you know the 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 cop or whoever is like, "Wait, I didn't know we were this dirty." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I think that's that's what that was. But uh, yeah, but there's also I think, that. I think that that's a moment that that their ages come into play. You know what I mean? Like, like if you if you have a if you have a William O'Neill that's 17. And that, and you, the FBI is giving him a whip, and they're giving him clothes, and mm-hmm. he, they're like taking him out to dinner. He's like, "Oh, these are my friends." You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. And then, when they pull the rug out, you as the audience are like, "Oh, this is a kid. Like this kid is yes. in his head." And I think, as good as Lakeith is in the movie, I think that's lost a little bit because you're like, "Oh, this is a grown man. Like you know what the FBI is. Like you know what I mean? <laughs> right, 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 right. You, you knew what it was. Yeah. I. <laughs> yeah. Yeah." I I I I can say that um <laughs> I I can agree with that because it it made me forget how old Bill was in that time, a seventeen year old yeah. kid going to to the police. Your first 
I feel like it's 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 just fear that gets in, in into your eyes when you're faced by mm-hmm. a, a policeman. You mm-hmm. think you about to catch all, all that time, but it like yeah, he told him what like six years or something. He like he threatened him five for yeah. for 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 impersonating a, a police officer, and I think uh, was it two for stealing for for the theft uh, something like that. Yeah. yeah, and so you know, in his mind, he's like, I don't want to do seven years in prison. He was like, well, you can do this for us, and so him going back and receiving money and being in these fancy restaurants and stuff like that. It's like he still wanted that. And he, he kept going at it and that and that until it felt like he couldn't take it no more. Right. But it's only so much you, you, you can do to the mind of a 17-year-old black kid in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 to that point, not only do they seem like friends, but it it, it supports this like faux paternal relationship yeah, O'Neal develops with him because it's like, yeah, he's like a father figure, and and O'Neal actually kind of idolizes the FBI mm-hmm. in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think at one point he does ask him like if he could become an agent. Um, yeah, I think that when he's in his house, I think they have a conversation like that, and um, Roy's like, oh, I don't know about all that. Slow your roll, <laughs> nigga. <laughs> <Me play>. right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, with the hard R, no, but uh. uh <laughs> but he's with the with his kid though. And he's like, "Yo, you want the scotch?" It was right. very welcoming and, was and warm. Yeah. yeah, I was like, Ugh. and this is what's really, really interesting about like racism in the North versus in the South. Um, and, and we can talk more about about that after the plot summary because I, I have some thoughts based on some of the stuff I watched. Um, but yes, so uh, he he obtains the the information about the informant. So then uh, Hampton is arrested because they, uh, as happened in real life. They get him. They accuse him of stealing seventy-five dollars worth of ice cream uh, sandwiches or something bogus like that. He gets a year in prison, um, and as that happens, O'Neill is rising up through the ranks as the security captain. Mm-hmm. Not before um, there is that scene we mentioned earlier, where they're wondering uh, because they they at one point they pull up to the Crown's hideout uh, as as the pla- at the black as the Black Panthers and the dude who. Uh, one of the dudes who, what's his name, O'Neill robbed, notices him, recognizes him. Mm-hmm. And Harmon, Captain Harmon, catches that. Yeah. So she pulls him into his car and they drive him into an alley and she pulls the blicky on. She pulls the burner out on this. Move <laughs> <laughs> how she did it. She was like, wait, your piece in here? Let me see. Right. The great thing about that scene. Is I mean everybody in that scene is great. Like Dominique is great. I think Ashton Sanders right. in the back and yeah in that scene. But like you, you realistically, you should be on like Captain Harmon's side. You're like, oh yeah, this guy's a snitch. Kill him. Absolutely, like, you should. Right. <laughs> Man, I hope she doesn't pull the. I hope she doesn't kill Lakeith in this scene. Right, and that's that's the thing about movies like this. Again, when you when like the protagonist is the traitor. You're like, oh no, it can't happen now. Like he has to complete his mission. But then you're also like, no, get him. Like my dad is sitting next to me at watching the movie at the same time. Like, yeah, shoot him. <laughs> your dad. What do your parents actually think about this? Real quick, initially, they I, they really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I I didn't get I haven't really gotten to break it down with them fully. Here comes my loud radiator. If y'all can hear it, <laughs> but uh, it sounds nice. Really, I'm freezing. But it barely makes any heat. That's the thing. It's loud for no well, that's reason. That's disrespectful. Yeah, my room is is like a wind tunnel. Um, so <laughs> basically, yeah, uh, they were like just during the movie were very reactive, and that moment 
was so it was like you said amada was so smooth and there's something she says like because they're basically trying to get him okay how'd you get this car and he's like well i hotwired it and they're like do it again and he's like oh i can't just do it right now she cocks the hammer do it again i was like yes yes shoot this man um but it didn't happen uh and then so obviously he's able to 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 jimmy the steering wheel and hotwire it and prove that he you know uh, uh he's got it like that uh, and so, yeah, he gains their trust and he rises up as security captain. Then um, in the midst of all this inter- interlaced is all this, uh, all these scenes with J. Edgar Hoover, who was the then like, whatever, I guess, chairman or head something, head honcho, director. director, thank you, that's the word, of the FBI, played by Martin Sheen. Shout out to Martin Sheen. Older that- brother of Charlie Sheen. Yo, I was watching something and they said he led the penguin. <laughs> <laughs> the prosthetics on him are kind of out of control. It's, it's a lie, yo. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it, I, makeup artist, subtlety is everything. <laughs> no, but like I like because when I first saw him, I was like, "Is that supposed to be Nixon?" Like I thought it was a bad Nixon. Yes, I didn't. And then I was like, "Does that timing work out?" Because I've seen some, I, yeah, I've seen some horrible uh, Nixons. There's the one in um, X Men: Days of Future Past. Oh, it's like yes. A caricature. That guy <laughs> is ridiculous. Is that <laughs> That's supposed to be, yeah, President. Uh, what was his first name? Like politician. Just white. No, no, that that, <laughs> that was Nixon. Um, so yeah, when I but yeah, J. Edgar Hoover is like, you know, we have to take care of this black messiah. Uh, the Black Panthers are the number one threat to basically the homeland homeland security, which is true. That's what he. That's basically what he declared them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's all this. They basically. He reaches out to the Chicago police to have them increase their security presence in the neighborhood, and then we get this shootout scene uh, where Judy Harmon has the has the shotgun and a uh, homeboy next to her, Jimmy, whose name I can't remember. Wait, no, Jimmy. J- J- Jimmy was the one that that um that that shot Ashton uh, Sanders shot, shot the, sh- the two officers in inside the store. Yeah, think, uh, yeah, that's, that's Ashton. This is another dude. I I forgot his name too. Yeah. There's, um, like three, there's like three Black Panther like teenagers that are floating through the movie. Yeah, <laughs> like major young actors, and I just can't tell them apart. Yeah, yeah, but um, so they're they're basically the Chicago police are kind of taunting the Black Panthers, and Harmon just decides to yet again pull out the heater and unload on them. <laughs> wow, which <laughs> you know um. I mean, especially considering that, I mean, I, I guess this, this, I mean, obviously they burned, they did burn down the center that happened, mm-hmm. but I, this is one of the things where I'm like, did you have to, if Judy Harmon didn't exist, then why did you create this woman to start a fight with the police? I mean, it doesn't paint the Black Panthers in the most positive light. It does and not. Maybe that's like the point. I mean, Shaka did talk about trying to be circumspect with it, but like while the, the Panthers were obviously anti-police. I don't know if they were like going out of their way. I know they they had a lot of shootouts with them, like in California, for example, where they started in Oakland. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know how many of those instances were initiated by the Panthers or not. A lot of the times, I I knew they they were founded, you know, by Huey Newton to kind of keep the police in check. Mm-hmm. So they had an open carry license and they would observe police interactions. And if they thought something was out of whack, they would who, step in. Who did they speak to? I know they had like serious conversations. Like Daniel had an eight hour meeting with uh, Fred Hampton Jr. And uh, Fred yeah, well, Hampton he had to be, he was on set every day of the, of the filming. 
So I guess then I would I probably would have to be safe to assume that that probably did happen the way it happened. I don't think mm. Fred Hampton Jr. would be like would would just fly uh, let something like that fly. Right. You know? If it didn't it didn't occur. Yeah. Good point. Um, and this part is where you know we start to see O'Neill um, for the breakdown. I want to say coward, but for the kid that he is again, and that's the thing. You have an older actor; it just looks like he's a punk. But when you realize he's a scared little kid, yeah, I don't want to get in a shootout with the police. So he tells uh, Judy Harmon, "Oh, I'm going to go up on the roof for a better vantage point." They see him, sniper, and then actually, wait, maybe they do start it. Maybe they shoot at him first, and that's what it is. Nah, I think I think they they were they were going on to shoot. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they see him, and they're like, "Oh, they have a sniper there. They keep shooting." Yeah. Um, and then he manages to escape. Um, uh, Judy Harmon's friend gets shot, uh, not fatally, I don't think. Um, yeah, there's a shootout. It occurs at the chapter office, and then they they come in and and the and the place gets bombed. Um, at this point, O'Neill tries to quit for the first time, uh, but he's rejected by Mitchell. Uh, after Hampton is released from prison, and of course we see him get the the notification in jail. He, they slide the uh, the newspaper into his like solitary. He's basically in like the hot box, mm-hmm. uh, and they pretty much like what. Uh, what uh, Jarrell Jerome when he was in uh, when they see us, he was in the mm-hmm. whole. Yeah, yeah, the ca- the real life person okay. he played. Yeah, yeah. So and for you. that reason, I can understand even if Jarrell was on the short list, if he was like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this again. <laughs> for for his mental, maybe he was like, eh, uh, yeah. if they even approached him. But um, because I think Kaluya was also a producer on this anyway. That's so part of, yeah. that's part of it. Kalu- yeah. I mean, Kaluya, yeah. like, Kaluya is like, I mean, he's got. I don't know how Hollywood works, but I, I imagine Kaluya is on a, some kind of major black actor list. And if he says absolutely, if he says okay, then the movie goes through. You know what I mean? Like he right, has, right. Even Jarrell the Pelton. the main producer was Kugler, which yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Uh, okay. uh, yeah, and then um, I think there were some other people behind it. Uh, so he reunites with Deborah, now pregnant with his child. And then Jimmy Palmer, who was hospitalized after being shot, is killed while being transferred to another hospital. Um, enraged upon learning of his death. Oh, Jimmy Palmer. That's you were right, Ahmad. They were both named Jimmy. And Jimmy yeah. is the one who got shot at the at the uh, office chap chapter office. Um, and so he dies. He's assassinated by the police. Jake Winters engages in a shootout with the police at that store, and then he gets shot down. Uh, that's Ashton Sanders' character. Nah, um, no, 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 no. Jake, Jake, Jake was the one that was by the trailer, and um, I think his friend Reg was going on in there, and he like he had he had called. The yeah, copy. the janitor. Yeah. Well, that well, I'm just reading Wikipedia. 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 Said, what did it? What does every professor say? Wait, Ashton Sander is Jimmy Palmer, and then the kid from Euphoria is the trailer, the one that's by. The is show. Jake Winters? I give him new edition. Oh, see, I oh, thought okay, that's right, that's right, that's what it is. That's right, that's right. Jake Winters, yeah, I get. I guess I just put Ashton Sanders in that scene, and my mind is now. It's just a bunch of dead black dudes. Yes, now. unfortunately, <laughs> Jake very sad. Went to the hospital, saw the janitor speaking, go see Jimmy, but then yes. that's why, and the cop yeah. stopped him from going in, so yeah. he started reading the thing outside the yeah. office. Yes, yes. and then yeah. Jake went to see Reg to try to get him into the to try to like find out what was going on. But then, you know, he was like, I just want to know. But then he saw his gun, and then he proceeded to call the cops on him, which is why he got Yes, yes. So it was another person entirely who was in that shootout, unnamed. Yeah. Jake Winters, right, because he's in that, like, he's out there in the in the nuclear plant or whatever. Yeah. In that shootout with them. Yeah, yeah. that was a pretty good That's scene. That's a great scene. That's a great shot scene. Heartbreak. Yeah. Um, yeah. So 
after Hampton's appeal is rejected, uh, director J. Edgar Hoover orders Hampton be neutralized before he returns to prison. Mitchell corners O'Neill into helping with the plan by warning him that the Black Panther Party will retaliate against him if they find out he's an informant, and O'Neill reluctantly agrees to help. O'Neill is later handed a vial of sedatives. In order to drug Hampton's drink with it, the next evening, Black Panther Party members gather at Hampton's apartment before, uh, before he departs for prison. An allied gang leader offers Hampton money for him to flee the country, but he turns it down and instead orders a trust to be established with the money under Jake's name. As the evening progresses, O'Neill reluctantly drugs Hampton's drink and departs. Hours later, officers and agents raid the apartment and shoot Hampton dead. Later, O'Neill meets with Mitchell, who gives him the money and a pair of keys to a gas station he now owns. O'Neill attempts to quit again, but reluctantly accepts the money and keys and places them into his pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we end with the archive of, of the footage. It's a lot that goes on. Obviously, there's that scene where um, uh, Fred Hampton comes, when he first comes out of prison, he gives that speech. Um, I live for the, I die for the people because I live for the people. Mm-hmm. I live for the people because I love the people. That whole thing. There is a, now there's an extra in this scene that I think is like an unnamed Angela Davis. Oh, she's standing cool. right behind, not like the actual person, but the oh, she's standing right behind. <laughs> can you imagine? She's standing right, just CGI engaged her. Oh, that um, would be the end of the movie. <laughs> establishing, establishing the Black Panther cinematic universe. Right. <laughs> um, right. I but uh, when Zendaya get, plays Angela Davis. Uh, that is gonna happen. I am saying it right now on this podcast. Please. Wes, you keep manifesting these nah, things. No, that's not manifestation. That's good. <laughs> it's gonna happen. That's it's solid. She is, she is about two movies away from doing her big biopic that they all have to do. You're right. Although they have Ruth Nega doing um um oh uh, Josephine Josephine Bank ba- Baker, Baker Baker Baker, which is great casting. Mm. Um. So we'll see who. Yeah, Zendaya could be Angela. Day. I mean, she doesn't really look like her though, but she, that doesn't matter to Hollywood. Daniel um, this look, looks nothing like like Fred, Fred Hampton, Hampton. Yeah, it's, it's who's gonna sell the tickets. Um, so point being, right behind Deborah Johnson during this speech, there's a light skinned woman with an afro and like the look of Angela Davis standing on her right, and I'm like, is that supposed to be? Why doesn't she have a line in this movie? Like, <laughs> I mean, I know that she was involved with the black Panthers, but she should say something to somebody. It's a little distracting. Uh, but that's the scene where, you know, now O'Neill is like, well, I kind of like being a black Panther maybe. So they're having that whole chant sequence and Mitchell is in the crowd, locking eyes with him through the chant. Um, uh, I don't know what the, I forget what the chant is. Chairman Fred. Chairman Fred. Chairman Fred. And Jesse Plemons has that dead face looking right at him. Um, and then there's that there's a brief sequence also where um, O'Neill has like bombs in his trunk, and he's like, "Yo, let's go bomb the Capitol." And Fred Hampton's like, "Are Where's you out of your mind?" <laughs> huh? Just like, what'd you say, Jude? You dead ass, like. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Um, and it's at this point where I mean, there's never a point where. Fred Hampton is like, hmm, I wonder if there's a Judas amongst us. Like, there's never, like, they don't put a hat on it like that, but there is that kind of rift that starts to form between them because O'Neill is just acting so funny. He's just moving so weird. Um, And then, yeah, so we get to the last scene. Now, what did y'all think about, and and this is where I want to circle back to to you, Wes, first. Um, The depiction of, (laughs) yeah, yeah, get ready. (laughs) 
<laughs> but the depiction of the shootout um, co- compared not only to how it happened in history, but how you led up to it in your own um, your own interpretation. How did what did you think about it? Oh, I mean, it's it's better than anything I've ever made. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think. Well, I think the, the the interesting thing about it is, and I heard that this is a Fred Hampton Jr. pick. Um, one of the mm-hmm. stipulations I heard was that you couldn't show Fred's dead body on screen, um, mm. which I thought was a great. I mean, I I, yeah. I I have a whole set of opinions about showing dead black people on screen and how you show them and. And even right. if, let's do that on this in the second segment. I want yeah, to hear yeah. about that. But, 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 you know, I, I, I have a, a quick shot of the, the actual footage, not the footage, but the picture of him on the ground. Yes. And I, I regret it. Like, I don't I don't actually think that that should be there. So I mm. think their their interpretation of it is is pretty strong. I mean, I mean, I know it's a, it was a complicated thing. Crime scene wise, like we don't exactly know what happened. Um, right. You know, the Black Panthers probably only licked off one shot. And the FBI slash Chicago PD licked off like hundreds. Um, yes, you know I don't know. I think it's a well directed or well directed thing. There's a way to do it where it's flat and it's not flat. So I think, yeah, you know. Um, but I also think events like that, like the Emmett Till murder, like a bunch of things, we only know so much because a lot of yes. involved are either dead or aren't going to talk. So I think yes, as a cinematic scene, it's very well directed. Yeah, how'd y'all feel about it, uh, Ahmad? Well, um, like when it when when it came to the start of it, as as they both were lining up for as as all the the FBI agents and police officers were lining up to to start the the shootout, you know, you see, like for one, I'm I'm not phased by when it comes to like certain shootouts when it comes to to, to movies or anything like that. Yes, I'm like roast style by it, but it. it it kind of hurt when, you know, you see the bullet wounds in, in, in all of them, and they wanted them to 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 to, to stand up straight and, and get in line on that. Like, sir, you put bullets in me. Like, I can't. In the back of my thigh. Yeah. yeah. And then you also see, um, you see Deborah trying to wake up her husband, and he's not waking up. He's just he's just flat out asleep, and so she's like, "There's nothing else I can do. Like, I try to wake him up. I try to." And so yeah. they, they want me to go, they want me to get out the room, and now I gotta hear those gunshots being fired inside of the father of my child. Mm-hmm. And then it, yeah, that 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 one hit. It, so it worked for you emotionally. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't cry, but you know I I, I felt I felt the the tad bit angry, you know, about it. Oh yeah, it, it, yeah. It's it's some it is it is some shit it is some shit. <laughs> so I can't even put that in quotes. Put that on a t shirt and give it. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's all I got to say mm. about that one. Yeah, Jude. I like how they just focused on her face as he was getting as he was getting shot. You saw that because yes, you don't need to see. I mean, we all, all we all knew what was going to happen at the end of it. Like when they all got in together, Ashton, uh, dude from New Edition. Mm-hmm. Um, William O'Neill. <laughs> I had to <laughs> because I do euphoria. I'm like, nah, nah, nah. You Ralph Tresvant from New Edition. Come on. But um, the the actor's name is Algie Smith, yeah. by the way. <laughs> Algie Smith. Algie Smith. Oh man, he gonna get mad at me, Ralph. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we we see them all sitting in the car first. Day. I was like, everybody in here gonna die. But 
just seeing her, but just seeing um, Deborah Johnson's face. Yes. Just blank, but not emotionless. You know, she's just breaking down inside. But in moments like that of shock, your face is blank. And Mm -hmm. she just, you know, portrayed that so well. And I thought it was more powerful to see her face and to see the destruction. Like, yo, you did not just take away, you know, a leader of a movement. You took away a father, a husband. A friend, soon, yeah. A soon-to-be father. Like, the kid's not even born yet. Yeah. And also, yeah. And also it, it, it brought me back to when she had to show that discipline. Mm-hmm. Remember when, when they arrested him and she was, like, about to wild out and he was, like, mm-hmm. discipline now. Go back to where you were going. Just mm-hmm. And I, re- I remember that. When That's I, exactly what it was. Yeah. yeah. She she had to. She she couldn't start crying and fall to the ground all that. Oh my baby, all that. Nah, she has to have the blank face and that one like you see like the the the, the tear forming. The Denzel tear. Oh, I was just thinking yeah. that. Man. Well, you know what she? It's like um to make a reference to a, a very different movie. Yeah, I'll ever seen a uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatball. Yes. Wow, not worth there's, that. That there's this scene. Yeah, there's this oh, scene where the where this cop character get back in there, team. He sucks his tear up. That's basically what she did in real life. Like, and I and yeah, y'all said exactly what I was thinking in that moment. That she perfectly captured, especially when I went and watched footage of Mama Aqua, um, the stoicism and the and the you know what? Like, I'm I'm furious and I'm heartbroken. But this is the mission, and yeah. this is exactly how he knew he was gonna go out eventually. Like I, he's I'll die for the people, and I mean it wasn't on his terms. Is nah. the thing that sucks about it. Um, he was betrayed, but I don't even know whether or not that ever came to light necessarily for her, or until much late. Obviously, when documentary stuff comes out, but at that moment, she's like, they just they just found out my 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 man is dead, yeah, and now we have to carry on. I have to I have to protect his legacy now. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, all of that in that moment. I mean, I think a, a best actress nomination at the very least is not um out of out of the realm of possibility for her. Um she did a great job. And yeah, that that pretty much brings us to the end of the plot. Um what I, I know Jude, you have questions. Mm-hmm. Do you want to ask how you want you want to ask us the first one now or you want to yeah, come back to ask, ask you the first one now. Um right. how do you guys watch movies? Like because I know you guys are actors and Wes, you're a director. And when you're watching a movie like this, of course, you're enjoying it. Like me, I'm just a consu- I'm just consuming it mm-hmm. as, you know, I'm getting information. I'm getting entertainment. I'm getting whatever. But you guys are watching actors, things that you guys want to do. You're watching a director, director's vision being told, like how he's um, using the camera, the lighting, even just the color palettes, like all the background stuff that you have to think about like 10 years before a movie even starts. Mm-hmm. How do you guys watch films? To like, what are you? What are y'all trying to pull? What are y'all trying to get mm-hmm. as for, for your craft to make you guys better? Oh boy, <laughs> that's a good question. Yo, everybody go at once. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Justin, Justin was in a in a very successful Netflix movie, so I think we. Should... Whoa, 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 whoa! No, yes, you <laughs> yeah, were. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you were. Yes, okay, you were. Hang on, I'm the host, so. No, 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 no. Yes, you were. Netflix. All right, fine. I, no, I'll go first. Um, yeah, so get the. I'll, t- I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I hopefully I need some. Um, I'll tell you what. Actually, 
there has been a development in the way that I watch movies and in the way that I um, analyze or criticize them. Um, back in the in the mid like two thousands, um, there was a YouTube channel that became very popular by the name of Cinema Sins. Oh yeah, and, and they would World release Prince? videos every week. Uh, everything wrong with blank. Everything wrong with what you're Love doing. It. And they started very short, and then they eventually then now they're like thirty minutes long. Um, and I remember there was a point where he released a video on Kong Skull Island and the director of that movie got so upset that he like wrote a Twitter thread about it. And um, yeah, Jordan Vote Roberts was like, I just don't understand why you would spend so much time being negative about something. And Jeremy was like, I mean, it's a joke, dude, but okay. <laughs> um, but I'm bringing this up because there was a time that I thought that was legitimate criticism. And so the way that I watched movies when I, when I started watching that channel was I was looking for everything wrong with a movie yeah. um, because I thought that's what criticism meant. Then as I developed as an actor and as a, as a writer and now I'm in pace for film, I realized that it's, it's not about that. And this ties back very neatly into what we talked about with Jay on our last episode, mm -hmm. because I've been thinking a lot about the subjectivity versus objectivity of art and of, and of filmmaking yeah. and what makes a good movie. And I had this, this conversation, I sparked this conversation on clubhouse in a room I'm talking about movies, but like, you know, you could get into the nitty gritty of like the craft, yeah. which is like the rules about how something are made versus the art, which is the expression of the, of the making of it. So like the example that Paul Levitz, a professor I had one time gave was if we're talking about a table, there's a way a table is crafted. It has to be able to hold something. It has to have a foundation. Um, but then when you get into the art of it, you know, you would think, okay, a table may, like, usually a table has four legs, but maybe there's a three-legged table. Maybe it's got two legs. And a bed can be a table if you put stuff on it, you know? So it's like, there's all this room for interpretation, and I've just come to a place where when I'm watching something, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for it to show me what it wants to show me. Mm -hmm. Like, point blank, I'm looking for it to tell me the story that it wants to tell, um, which is why I can watch horror movies, for example, and even if I'm not personally scared, that doesn't make me go, well, that was a bad horror movie, because I'm interested in what the director thought would be creepy, you know, mm -hmm. and, and what is resting underneath the, the spooks. So like Midsummer, for example, um, which is, uh, that's an example I, I often go back to because that movie didn't scare me. It was unsettling, but... I was also like, hmm, I'm getting a, I'm getting a glimpse into this man's mind, um, which is not maybe the most pleasant place to be. But also, he's trying to tell a story about grief, about identity, about belonging, and I can I can see that through this vehicle of horror filmmaking. So it doesn't mean that I don't. There are movies that I dislike, that I don't dislike. Obviously, there's stuff that I watch and I'm like, I hated every second of that. <laughs> there's stuff that I watch that I love, um, but yeah, I think you know as a just as a as a film watcher and as a as a critic or analyst of it that's the the approach i take and then as an actor um i'm i'm usually looking to forget that it's a person you know like i'm 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 looking to forget the real person and that's difficult because celebrity and acting are so intertwined now mm -hmm. but i just finished watching knives out for example cuz my brother and his fiance are up for the weekend and they hadn't seen it so i was showing it to them and um Daniel Craig disappears into that role, mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned. I and I love him as James Bond, but I'm watching him in that, and I'm like, yeah, this is a completely different person. And that's the type of stuff I like to see. So when I watched 
when I watched Daniel Kaluuya in this movie, I wasn't thinking about Get Out. Yeah. And that's great. Nah. When I when I watched the Keith in this, I wasn't thinking about Sorry to Bother You. And that's mm-hmm. great. Like they were able to convince me that they were totally committed to this. And that's what I try to emulate in my acting. Okay. That's my answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. 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 Monster. <laughs> um I can definitely agree with what Justin is saying because I, for one, used to watch Cinema Sins all the time. Oh my goodness, I, I couldn't even get enough. I still throw it on for like a comfort watch if I'm like eating, you know, cereal and I want to kill kill the time. It's like you know, it's like once in a blue moon, like literally once in a blue moon, I, I would go back to his videos for like. I feel like he he just uploaded the everything wrong with Tenet. Oh my goodness, when I saw that, I was. <laughs> genuinely confused but that's a different haven't story. seen that movie yet so <laughs> very confused i will say you'll be very confused um i can say that i, I was looking at every mis- like every mistake or anything that was going on w- within the film it's like oh they're doing this oh my god they're, this is why they're rating us like this and why is the, the the setting like that why is the plot going this way but it took it took some time for me to just say watch the fucking movie just watch it. Just, just watch it. See how things go. And from an actor's point of view, I do agree on top of taking the actor itself out of that character. You know, we see them on social media. We see them in the interviews. We know how they act. But we want to know how can they shut that part of them down and portray yeah. this particular character that the director or the producer wants them to act, that wants them to, to, to be like in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to Kevin Hart, he can't do anything else but but a comedy. That's nah, the man. That's what he does. He's a comedian. If you play like, mm-hmm. oh, this is a serious role. I'm 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 a. This is a, a part that you guys would never have never seen me bring out in this movie. Bro, you 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 still a comedian in the eyes, okay? <laughs> you you still a funny, and, and you're just a short dude who complains about being short. Exactly, you screaming ah all of that all the time. <laughs> I'm not gonna take that out. That's there forever. You're a. I think dude. I I think Ahmad, uh, just to interject interject briefly that the the we will be able to track the decline of cinema. <laughs> Back to the relationship between Kevin Hart and The Rock. Yes. Oh, <laughs> we will be able to to track the the dev, the de evolution of of filmmaking back to when those two decided, "I'm tall, you're short, let's make buddy comedies." Central intelligence, literally central intelligence. And yeah. The Rock will always be The Rock will always be this huge six. Was he six two six three? 230-something yeah. pound dude that you see in these movies where he's pulling this weight that's like so... It weighs so much more than him, but they want him to be this Hulk-like character. Bro, you're not going to go down your size to be no type of sad man going about his life. Bro, you... Oh, yeah, The Rock loses The Rock loses 100 pounds. You're not going to be 50 cent. You're not going to be 50 cent. You're going to be 50 cent. And so... I, I, I look at, at some of the things like that and um I I just when when people think like oh this movie is gonna be so amazing, I just I'm gonna be looking at the plot, I'm gonna look at the, the actors who are cast, like 
and even movies where it's like you know damn well you you was you know you know you shouldn't have made a reboot of this movie. For example, Mortal Kombat. But that's that's a different story. <laughs> um, oh but yeah, it's it's what? that's that's just that's how I think when it comes to certain movies and, and me as an actor and also at with, with their monologues, it makes me want to think about how I want to um, shape that in in my expression of words and um, yes. Yeah, and so that's 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 something else as well. Cool. I open up a can of worms. It was a good. Uh. No, it's fine. Yeah, Wes. Uh, you guys covered a lot. Um, <laughs> but you a director pr- perspective. I uh, I mean, man, Wes used to act too. Oh, you that's weird. Very very briefly, I I was I'm not as good as as Justin is at it. Um, but don't even do that. <laughs> I taught him everything he knows. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I don't know. I think I think uh, what you were saying before, Justin, about what Paul Le- uh, Levitt said is, is how I think about it, which is like, I mean, I go to film school, which is kind of like uh, useless. But what <laughs> the things they, they tell you, I'm serious, I'm don't. It's a stamp. But uh, one of the things they tell you <laughs> in film school is how to like. But I'll tell you why it's and it ties into the bigger idea. Is in film school they teach you how to be ultra. Uh, kind of uh critical of movies and to look at them mm. almost like they're like a watch and you're taking the watch apart gear by gear which is useful but like it also takes away some of the joy of movies you know what mm. i mean yes i think when a movie is good you don't even know if a movie is truly good you don't even know why it's good until you watch it again like it's yeah. yes. working on you like it's like a magic trick you know what i mean like uh i'm trying to think of a movie that's like like one of my favorite movies is scream right that movie, mm. like, I've been watching since I was 14, and I didn't realize until recently why it's so good. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. why, why, how the directing works and, like, how, why the writing is so smart and those actors are cast a certain way. Uh, and, like, the fact that it's in conversation with these other movies, you know what I mean? But, yeah. like, when you're watching Scream, you're like, oh, this is just a really good, funny movie. And I think, for me, like, it takes me a while to actually figure out how I feel about movies. Like I'll, I'll, when I get out, I'll either go that worked on me or it didn't work on me. And even bad movies can work on you. You know what I mean? Like mm. even movies that aren't good can work on you. So mm. I think when I, when I, the way I think about movies is like, I'll, I'll watch the movie, see if it worked on me. And then like, like how was the acting? How was the directing? Like, you know what I mean? And then there's also the question of like ethics. Like did the, was the director being responsible? You know what I mean? Like was mm. the director, is the message that the director is successfully conveying a responsible mm-hmm. message? Because there's movies that are well made that are irresponsible. You know what I mean? That are saying things about people or about people groups that I don't agree with or I don't like. And I think that also should factor in. You can just say Quentin Tarantino if you want. I, I wasn't going to say Quentin Tarantino, but I think, <laughs> you know, I think Quentin Tarantino has movies that I enjoy that I think are well made yeah. movies, but I think ultimately are not saying anything. Or if they are saying mm. something, it's you know, white men are the best and we're powerful. And and, and, <laughs> and Jingle and Chain and Jingle and Chain was yo, my bad. Black people cool too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But that's that's how I watch movies. I think I think there's a way to watch movies where you're super critical, which is like the CinemaSins version of it, joking mm-hmm. about it. And then there's the version where you're like, this worked on me. Why did it work on me? And who is this for? Like who's the audience of it? You know what I mean? Like yeah. what, what we're doing here, which I think is dope. Why is Scream such a good movie? Uh, <laughs> I think I think I mean real fast. I think Scream is like one of the best horror movies ever. I think it's like a it's like super aware of every single horror movie that's come before, and it's also mm-hmm. cast people that look like characters from earlier horror movies. So like yeah, 
Billy looks like Johnny Depp from Nightmare on Elm Street. And that's mm-hmm. intentional so that you don't suspect him. You know what I mean? Like it's tricks like that that you like you don't realize until you watch it four hundred times, like I had. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's um, a it's a horror movie's horror. Uh, sorry, it's a horror fans horror movie. Yeah. is what I meant to say. Ah, right, cool. And that like if if you know you've watched all those, um, and I'm I'm kind of a a horror slouch when it comes to the classics. Mm-hmm. Um, our friend Danny Meddy is a huge horror buff, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he's seen like pretty much everything there is to see um you know mainstream and otherwise um but yeah like like the first time i saw halloween um for example was mm. like 2017 Me too. 2018 Me too. yeah and I, I was i went with him to a to a screening of it um at this like this theater where there's like a whole tradition about how to watch mm-hmm. the movie which is a fun way to see it for the first time and i remember him actually yelling at me because he had lent me the the dvd in high school and I never watched it. It stayed in my book bag for like three years. And he's like, dude, I gave you a disc of Halloween. Why did you not watch this movie? And I was like, uh-huh. but um, yeah, I, I, I think Wes, um, a lot of, a lot of what you said is, is a part of what I, I hope to get into in the second segment. We're going to take a brief break uh, and come back to talk about fact versus fiction, uh, where the black biopic stands in modern society. And um, whether or not this was the right time to release a movie like this. So uh, stay tuned. Wow. And we're back. Texas is insane, right? No, yo, I just saw something and it's just this girl in a parking lot, the empty parking lot empty her car is the only one in there her car is the only one where a bunch of water just dripped on down to her car and froze over it like sub-zero just shot what's happening down there is like that's like a i don't know it's like the day after tomorrow like it's it's insane and i and i posted some uh, screenshots on my story from this article this op-ed about ted cruz leaving and, and what... <laughs> he went to Cancun. Yeah, like he could have at least, I, like I don't know. That's that's the most disrespe- the most disrespectful thing to do during a climate crisis is to go to a place that's the opposite of that effect. Yeah. Like if if he had gone to Canada, that's like okay, but he went to Cancun because he wanted to be warm. Because yeah. my daughter, because my daughter's wanted a vacation. You don't have enough discipline as a father to say not right now, hun. Exactly. Also, he let his, yo, he let Donald Trump call his wife ugly. He he didn't only call him ugly. He called her a dog. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. I remember. Yeah. I remember this because Chris Cuomo was like, like Ted Ted Cruz came on talking crazy about Chris Cuomo's brother, the governor of New York City. And yeah. Like, Andrew, why did you have that smoke for Donald Trump who called your wife a dog? And right. <laughs> Yo. Chris Cuomo is not someone you want to piss off. I I I feel like that guy probably benches like two fifty oh, yeah. easy. Mm-hmm. Nah, for nah, his Cuomo warm up got, set. Chris Cuomo got hands, yo. Like <laughs> that's an that's an Italian's Italian man. Yeah. Yo, you walk into an MMA gym on Staten Island and you find him working the bag in the back with a Carhartt hat on. Just <laughs> oh, that's Chris. Yeah. Him and John Bernthal are training partners and shit. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Well, no, that, it, good it, pull. So it'll be John Berthnall as as Chris Cuomo, and we'll have like Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> in the bio, in, in the biopic about COVID nineteen. <laughs> Almost. 
the Cuomo version. Well, but if you but if you did that, it would just be like if Bernthal played Cuomo, it would just be Chris Cuomo like licking his lips a lot on the camera because that's John Bernthal's thing. He's always like, but he's like a great. Kind of, John Bernthal. No, he is fantastic. Really Bernthal guy. kind of gives me. I was watching um Raging Bull and Young De Niro. Yeah. Vibes. I can't bit. wait. Yo, I cannot wait for that uh, Sopranos movie that they did. Oh, yeah. is he in that? Yeah, he's playing um one of the OGs. The OG he better be. Oh, yeah, Yaya is in that too. Yaya Abdul Mateen. I might be wrong. Fantastic. He's working this year then because he's doing Matrix as well. Like ten roles for black men in Hollywood, and Yaya has like five of them. It's Leslie Odom. I need, oh, to, see, oh. I need to see Amada's Nelson Mandela. Wait, you? It's Leslie Odom in the Sopranos movie? Yeah. Oh, got you. Okay. Well, he, but that's another one who was just in um one night, which we can sprinkle in a little bit here. But yeah, I, I hope y'all enjoyed that little interlude. Uh, <laughs> circling back to um, Judas and the Black Messiah. So um, yeah, I, I've been really kind of pensive about this this idea of the biopic in general, specifically the civil rights era, which has been ripe for filmmaking for the past fifty years or something like that. Um, I still haven't seen Malcolm X, but really? I know Wes, you have. Wow! Yeah, I, Why not? Wow! You hate it was just one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I am racist. Yes. Um, so no, it was on us, motherfucker. <laughs> so it was one of those things where there, there's a lot of movies in this house, but growing up, obviously because of how conservative my parents were when I was younger, there was just certain stuff I didn't watch unless like I snuck it, and Malcolm X like. Obviously, that's like an important historical film, but I guess they also thought it was kind of violent. Maybe there's, you know, some language in there, stuff, you know, and it's long. It's like three and a half hours that they were like, our, our child isn't going to sit through this. Um, and then as I grew up, it's just one of those things like The Godfather, for example, that like I kept missing. And I saw the God, I've seen The Godfather, but very, I saw it later in life, like when I was 16. Although at the same time, there are movies that like a lot of people have seen that I'm glad I see when I'm an adult because... Mm. I'd like to understand them, you know what I mean, the okay. first time. So when I do finally watch Malcolm X, which will be sooner than later, um, I just carve out the time for it. But like, I'll I'll have an understanding of it that's greater than me watching it even in high school, and being like, I mean, that Denzel was good, but I don't know where it sits with all the other stuff that you know. Um, but saying all that to say, like, so there's been a lot of these movies, and Shaka King talked a little bit about releasing it like when, when this movie was released, he said originally it was planned for um, Fred Hampton's birthday, which is in uh, August. So it would have been a summer movie, but it got oh, pushed this to- Oh, year. Oh, 2020. I, maybe, maybe I think in 2020, yeah. But um, it got pushed to, to Black History Month and they had a conversation about like whether or not that seems like it's pandering or if it seems, uh, you know, like it sh that's where it should be. I want to ask y'all, especially considering as they talked about all the unrest that happened last year, do you think that this was like an ideal time to release this? Do you think that it benefited from um, the suffering, the the civil movements? Do you think that, you know what I mean? Because I, because I like, I, and I've spoken to you, Wes, about this. I, uh, I watched that um, horrendous Harriet movie. Um, I think it's really bad. I don't know. Yeah. That glorified TV, uh, TV movie. And um I, I basically wrote, I, I had this letter, I, I wrote on Letterboxd, but I was saying to Wes and Danny when uh, I think in our, our, not Danny Meddy, but Danielle, um, mm -hmm. that movies like these, they, they tend to thrive if they're, especially if they're not well-made on two primary emotions, um, the shame of, of white people and the anger of black people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So 
I can make if I can make black people angry because of what, the injustices we're depicting, that's good. And if I can make white people feel ashamed of what, you know, their forefathers did, that's also good. Um, and so, but I'm wondering now, like right on the heels of everything with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, all that, does this movie feel like? Do you think it was the right time, or how do you feel about just how it was released and when it was released? Or does it anything could have popped off at any time? Yeah, so hmm. a black person could have gotten shot by the cops. The day this was released, there is right. no telling in the timing of it when it comes to the politics because it's unpredictable. Like, yeah, right. Things could yeah. go down anytime. I, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think actually the way you divide these biopics, other than like some of them are good and some of them are not so good, is like more because there's some biopics for that are about black people that are not for black people. Like I would argue, yeah, is not probably not for black people. I, it's for the white person who knows Harriet Tubman was supposed to be on the twenty dollar bill. And, and and here's the movie and they, Harriet Tubman. They and they want to know why. <laughs> and for middle school kids. But I think the yeah. way yeah. you can tell if if it's for black people or not is how human the characters are. So like yes. Max is like one of the best movies I think ever made, right? But like everyone talking about that. But like I think I think A, that's one of the best performances we've ever seen on screen, but also like he's a human being in that movie. Like he's yeah. a yes. person in that movie. And like, there's Malcolm X, like Malcolm X, and then there's like Malcolm X, like the way Denzel Malcolm Little, Malcolm yeah. Little, exactly. Like I think that there's a scene in Malcolm X where like Denzel walks to greet Elijah Muhammad, and like literally makes himself smaller, like yeah. the same size as him. And I'm like, that's like a that's a thing people do in real life. Like that's not yes. a thing you read about Malcolm X. So I think I think like who who it's for? If it's for black people, it'll usually render. I think if it's good. The protagonist more human you know what i mean we'll see them as yeah. being rather than the figure um, that's really well said and and so on that note like how did you feel about malcolm x or any of the figures in one night in miami from what you remember i know it's been a, a little bit but <laughs> I, I i i think i think one night in miami is like is not as successful uh with rendering them as humans as as mm. the jesus and the black messiah is i think i think and I think some of that's because it's a play, um, but I think some of that's because a lot of those guys feel less like people in that movie uh, and more like totems. You know what I mean? Like they have mm. an idea of those people. And I think Leslie yes. Totem gets the closest to like, this is a person. And I don't think it's the actor's fault. And I don't even necessarily know if it's Regina King's fault, who I really like. I think, I think it's those guys are such giant folks that they're yes. not enough of breaking them down to human beings in that movie. Like Malcolm X just feels like Malcolm X, like the thing distilled. Yeah. yeah. Distilled. Like, and I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking in the movie, I'm like, wouldn't this guy, like, like we know Malcolm was like a funny guy. Like we know that from like accounts from his friends. So like, mm. I don't know if he would be talking like this on a night like this. You know what I mean? But that's just my opinion. Like I'm just a guy with opinions. <laughs> As are we all. No, I mean, he does, um, he does, he has a joke here and there. I watched it uh, actually the night before we watched Judas and the Black Messiah. I sat down with my parents and watched one night. They really liked it. Um, Dad said it was like a play. And I said, yeah, it was It was adapted from one. Um, and aside from talking about like the adaptation of plays to film and whether or not that takes full advantage of filmmaking, because it kind of just looks like a film, a recorded play, in the same way that Fences does, like basically one wide mm -hmm. shot that's like moving around. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are some moments that like when, for example, when Jim Brown and Malcolm X are talking in the kitchen, you know, 
and Malcolm is all worn down um, that you get to see a little bit of that. But yeah, um, I think that you're right. You're right. It's, it's who is it for? And one night in Miami feels like a movie that's kind of straddling the line where it's like, this is, I want, I want black people to feel like they can watch this and see human versions of the people we, we idolize, but it's also for like, it's also for a white audience who may not know that much about a Jim Brown or a Sam Cooke, for example, especially next to these other two names. Um, it's also really interesting that Sam Cooke died later in the year that that yeah. movie is set. Yeah. Um, the next year. And, and the, he was shot by a, by a woman. And the way that the movie, I mean, what I will say is great about that movie, just to, to continue this tangent for a little longer, as far as direction, is that everyone knows a change is going to come. Like that's Sam Cooke's most famous song, but I was not thinking about it at all until he sang it in that movie. Like until he gets up on, on the Dick Cavett show, he's like, Oh, I have this new song and the whole, for whoever hasn't seen it, basically there's this debate between Malcolm and Sam during the movie where Malcolm is like, you should be using your gift to further the cause. And Sam is like, I'm doing what I have to do for me. Why are you on my back? But Malcolm convinces him and he goes on this show and sings a change is going to come, which is, the, again, the pivotal Sam Cooke song, I was born by the river, that whole thing. And you're like, oh, yeah, of course. Of course that song is about <laughs> Black people and about the civil rights movement. Um, even if you knew it while listening to it, you know, like it, it frames it really well. So I think Regina did a great job with that as far as humanizing, like you said, mm-hmm. Sam Cooke. Um, but yeah, I think with with this movie, you know, again, when we think about that humanity, it's the age, right? The age of these characters that comes into question again and again that I think s- slightly inhibits the emotional impact. Um, I-, I watched two little documentaries. One was the the one from 1990 that I sent to the group chat, Jude Namad, yeah. about COINTELPRO. Um, that was just going through the facts of what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, Willie- Bill O'Neill took his own life um, some years after what happened, which you can imagine the guilt that he was when- racked with. When that documentary came out, uh, uh, Eyes on the Prize came out. Yeah. Yes. He ran in front of a car. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Oh, that's what it was? Yeah. I thought, I I guess they didn't talk about it. I assumed he might have shot himself. It or was something. They, they, they talked about it at the end of the movie, I think. Yeah. At the end of Judas. It was. He just ran in front of a car. Yeah. 1979. He, uh, it was it was that evening, the same night that came out. I was. And I, oh, here it actually, uh, uh, here it is. I have it. In the early hours of. January 15, 1990, O'Neill ran into traffic on Interstate 290, was hit by a car, and killed. He was 40 years old. Oof. Mm. Earlier in the evening, he'd been drinking and attempted to jump out a second-story window, but was pulled back inside. Yeah. Um, His wife claims it was an accident. Yeah, but it says O'Neill himself never felt like it was a betrayal of Hampton or the group, later recalling, I had no allegiance to the Panthers. I mean, you got to think about, like, and maybe this is part of what Angelica Bastien was talking about in the review you have to think about the depth of like of of dishonesty in this person. Yeah. Yeah. That like recruited as a kid, injected into the Black Panther Party as a, as a sleeper cell or yeah. whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And then continues after the fact, you know, with this whole because he has this twisted sense of allegiance to Roy Mitchell. Yeah. And I don't even know if he's thinking about it on like a black and white thing. I think he's just thinking about it a me and everybody else thing. Shaka said something very interesting where it's like, I think that Fred Hampton and Bill O'Neill were both searching for power and freedom, but they were going about it in different ways and they had different definitions of what it meant. 
And I think ultimately O'Neill was someone who wanted, he was, I mean, he was looking for a form of freedom, like we all are in a sense. He wanted to live his life on his own terms, but he was forced to make decisions that cost other people their lives and their freedom. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think it, the way, the way you like put it there actually made me think, I feel like in a lot of ways, and maybe this would be strengthened. We keep coming back to the age of stuff, but I think, I think, mm-hmm. I think when you take that story on the page, that's like a childhood's end movie, like movie. You know what I mean? Like that's yes. the kind of movie it is because all the black Panthers are supposed to be no older than 25. You know what I mean? And they're all, mm-hmm. and this idea of like, like the bastard children of the country who have lost their, their parents who are like Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, uh, Medgar Evers, all these major figures have been killed in front of them. And now yes. they're 23 and they're like, what do I do? Like I'm in danger. And we're watching them either align themselves with the feds or die. You know what I mean? Like, and I think that's, that's an interesting story that, that, that the movie kind of circles around. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Go on. Mm-hmm. No, Go no, on. that's, that's, that's great. Watching this, I was like, no wonder heroin and crack yeah. like ran the streets, yo. Yeah. Like, no fucking wonder. Because all the trauma that you're just watching, you're 23, we're 23 years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we're yeah. the same age as these dudes. Getting popped. Um, but not just like on like regular, like, I mean, it's not regular for like gang warfare to go down or whatever. And that's still tra- traumatic and terrifying. Yeah. But this is government led. Mm-hmm shooting and killing and warfare going on that's that has millions of dollars funding it a million people on their task force this is some serious shit and yes. we're just kids like yeah and and you think about how how little we know now in our lives like where we individually are like as much as we've educated we've been educated about and we've experienced but like in the grand scheme of things like I, I don't know if I would necessarily be ready to like up and lead a revolution or just even try. I don't know. You know what I mean? No. So like, so like, I mean, I've been to a protest one time in my life and I was leading some chants and that felt good in the moment. Yeah. But like, if, if someone told me when that protest was over, Oh, we need you to like stay and like potentially shoot some cops. I was, I, I like, this going to be like, every oh. day. They're like, yeah, you're going to run an office. You're right. Like, hey, 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 hey. Exactly. There would have to be like little adults. Like the Panthers were running medical clinics. They were running like breakfast thing. You know what I mean? With little to no oversight, you know? And, and so, and then to compare them as Roy Mitchell did to the Ku Klux Klan, which I think is one of the, that's like one of the most insidious parts of the movie. Right. Yeah. And he's like, they're doing the same thing, you know, which is, that's not true. And so I, I, I'm, that's where we can kind of start to get into like the politics of it. Cause I think that's one of the big things. Ultimately, obviously Fred Hampton was a socialist, you know, or, and, or a communist Marxist. Um, Marxist. Yeah. He was not, he was not interested in capitalism at all. Hollywood is a capitalist engine. Um, you know, so it's like, it's one of those things about like the, the lesser of two evils or the greater good or whatever. It's like, okay, we want to make this movie about Fred Hampton but we're releasing it in a, in a commercial capacity. What does that do to, what does that mean for how, how realistically we can depict the radicalism of this figure, you know? Um, and I, and it was one of the reasons I, I was interested to talk to Danielle about it, if she could have been available today. Um, Cause I know that there are people, there are probably people we all know that are more radical than we are, or, yeah. or obviously less radical. Um, 
but yeah, like I'm, I'm, I think that that is a, a point of contention for a lot of people that at the end of the day, it's like, okay, you made this movie. Um, but mm-hmm. it doesn't, I mean, I think that it gives enough to, to, for example, if someone watched this movie, they didn't know anything about the black Panthers or, or Marxism. Mm-hmm. If they were so impacted by it, they could definitely like look up more, you know? Yeah. But I guess at, at a macro level, it's like, um, is this actually in service of, you know, of, of, of the mission, so to speak. But then again, like we said, Fred Hampton Jr. was directly involved with the making of the movie. So there had to be a level between him and his mother where they were like, I mean, yeah, like we should put this out in this capacity. Um, but it's interesting to think about it being dramatized as opposed to being a documentary. I think film may also do us a bit of a disservice to to the Panthers and to the civil rights movement because it's just so there's just so much complexity to the time. It's not mm-hmm. something you can just shoot in in a two hour movie. I think maybe a better way that this could have been displayed would would be a series like yes. Snowfall. I agree. Right. Yes. It could have been a limited series. Could have been. You know, six episodes, six hours or so on HBO Max. Um, and a better way for them to make their money. <laughs> for sure. People would have still watched it. And I mean, that's 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 also an interesting thing, like, um, to think about is because TV is de- has been coming back in a major way. Mm-hmm. We are in a new kind of golden age of television. Um, and that's when stuff was still on cable. Now with streaming, forget about it. Um, it's the budgets and the quality are, are at a place they've never been. So when you, when, as a filmmaker, when you're, when you're tasked with the concept of turning a story into a, like what, what form it should take, um, you know, obviously that comes down to the writers too. Uh, the, the Lucas brothers presented this likely as, I think they said it was like a 200 page script, which, Whoa. um, 200 pages. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Is that little? Much or longer. That no. Long? Basically, every every page is roughly a minute in in screenplay right. writing. So one yeah. was like a maxed out script, like a normal size script. Yeah, and they had two hundred, which would have been over, well over two hours, but pretty much like yeah, close to three, and um, and yeah, so they they obviously cut down significantly, um, but. One thing that I thought was uh, that stuck out to me when I was watching this documentary um, that I wanted to come back to is the the lawyer, one of Fred Hampton's lawyers, said that when he was at the crime scene, which apparently was pretty accurately recreated from what they knew, like ballistic evidence supported that this guy, Officer Davis, shot Hampton point blank, contrary to what he testified, and the film depicts this as a fact. And it also confirms, like, you know... Um, uh, what Deborah Johnson says happened is that they shot into the room, they pulled her out, then they said, oh, he, he looks like he's still alive. Someone shot him. He's good and dead now, which is what you hear in the movie. Yeah. Um, so they got that part, you know, pretty accurate. But yeah, the lawyer was talking about how he was at the crime scene and he heard someone walk by and say it's nothing but a northern lynching. And I was thinking about, you know, we often hear discourse behind the idea that racism up north is just covered up. Like, it's not necessarily less racist here than it is in the South. It's just, like, bureaucratized. Mm -hmm. And so we're not going to burn a cross on your lawn, but we're going to make it really, really hard for you to get an entry-level position, Um, even though you're highly qualified, um, strictly because you're Black or you're of color, right? And so this idea of a Northern lynching, 
they could in the south they would have just hung fred hampton right but up here it's well no we're civilized so we're going to go through the fbi and circumvent this like paralegal activity coincel pro all that stuff to kill him in a way that we can say is justified at a state level um which like that idea alone will radicalize you you know if you're if you're not already um so yeah i think it was it was effective in that um and this idea of the black excellence industrial complex is something I want to I want to open up with you. This is the this is the title of the article in which Shaka King was was interviewed. Basically, he talked about like this movie could only be made the way it was yeah. because of this 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 interest now in the in in seeing amazing black people, yeah. star studded black cast on screen, large in large part due to the success of Marvel's Black Panther movie. Um, you know, standing on the shoulders of that. Um, Wes, that was one of your AKAs up top. So <laughs> what do you think about like this idea of black excellence? And is it, you know, um, is it exhausting? Is it harmful? Is it, is it beneficial? I mean, people are making money, but at what cost? Uh, I, I, I think it's a, this is a giant court. Danielle is, would have been so much better to talk about this than me. <laughs> smarter than me, but I will try my best. Uh, I, I think it's a two-pronged thing, right? Like, I think we're experiencing a burst of black media that we haven't seen since, like, the 1990s, right? And even, yeah. that, even that was something that was snuffed out pretty fast. And it was it was essentially Spike Lee, Singleton, uh, you know, Julie Dash, uh, yes. a couple other people, you know what I mean? But those a lot of those directors, even though a lot of them are still alive, haven't had the career Spike Lee has had for a variety of reasons. So we're seeing, like, a burst that we haven't seen since then. I think, I mean, I think... You got a question, do a lot of these directors like black people? And I know that sounds like weird, but it's like, I honestly, like, you got to ask the question because I think there are things like Get Out and Us and uh, even stuff like Selma and Ryan Coogler's work and uh, Nia DaCosta's work where the directors clearly like have a passion for black people and black stories and don't seem to be interested in white people. And if they are, and if white people are in the story, they seem um, unimportant or uh, even villainous, you know, in the sense of Get Out. But even in Get Out, white people aren't really Jordan Peele's concern. He's more interested in like their power and like the power of whiteness, more so, you know. Uh, but like, I think there are directors who have ridden on the coattails of those guys, who have also brought in this black excellence movement, whatever you want to call it, that uh, I think have created work that is not for black people that is like black aesthetically but is not really for black people and i think you even see white filmmakers doing it now you know i think i think it's it's too pronged because you get the door opened for a lot of black filmmakers who are great in a way that we may have not had before i mean i'm not gonna lie like if i get any moniker success in this industry it's because the door has been creaked open for me to walk yeah. by these people like i'm not gonna diss the whole thing because it might contribute to any success i get but I think also we got to examine as black people who's holding the, these checks and like who who are we serving with the stories? And I think mm-hmm. I think I don't want to say nine times out of ten, but I would say like seven times out of ten, these stories are made to appeal to the white people that are producing it. Um, mm-hmm. Fortunate it doesn't mean we can't enjoy it, but I think you know it's the tr- it's just the it's just the industry we're in. You know what I mean? Y'all right? Like it's the industry. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Like I, we could say John Singleton was making movies for black people, and I believe that, but like, not everybody's John Singleton, and not everybody's Julie Dash, you know. But that's right. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well put. I mean, you know, it's the movie business, right? So at the end of the day, it's about what's going to produce capital. And while this is a story that is worth knowing, there's a reason it took this long for it to be developed and produced because it didn't seem commercially viable back then. And now it does. It's so there's always that kind of hanging over movies like this. Uh, I think Jude, do you have any thoughts about I just haven't heard the article in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, um, <laughs> I for one can, um, I was thinking back to when you were telling, uh, Jude, Jude and I about like, was, was it the right time to bring out Judas and, and the black Messiah? And I, I, I can definitely say that, you know, with all the uprising, when it comes to a lot of these, um, uh, uh, well, when it comes to the political parties and an uprising of 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 uh, black people uh, uh, again, and for us to achieve this equality or uh, let us know that we're we're here, and also as mm-hmm. more black people and show them that we can do this, like we we, we can uh, cast some new black people in here. Of course, we already know that Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith are like you know they're the recurring. Um, black actors, known black actors, but we can definitely sure. put out. We can put out more of them, um, and I, I for one, can say that it's it's definitely a yes and no, because um, you know there wasn't really like a specific reason to put out Judas and 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 and, and the Black Messiah throughout. I mean, around this time, but you know, mm-hmm. it's also good to put out a historical. Um, moment when it came yes. to the black community so i for one can say that and um for what you're saying about john singleton and also um and also spike lee it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good minute before we find like one of those heavy hidden heavy hitting di- black directors uh who can give us that 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 good feel um because john mm-hmm. singleton didn't do just movies. He was doing music videos as well. You know, mm-hmm. he was mind behind Remember the Time, and so mm. yeah, 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 yeah bro. Like, he, he was he was the mind behind the the Michael Jackson Remember the Time, and that's what I when I found that out, I said I got a lot of respect for him now. I got so mm. much respect. Um, RP to the gods, dude. But I, yes. I, I also can say just you know it's I, I for one can say within like the next few years we might see a lot more um, historically black films or just black films in general that can have that good feel of black movies rather than it just being traumatic black movies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like to circle back around the 90s, it's actually a Panther movie in the 90s with really? that. Yeah, it's, old, yo, so I, I was like on this like real 90s hip hop kick where I was just listening nothing but the 90s. And there was this, um soundtrack like back in the 90s soundtracks were it and oh yes you know what i'm saying like not for nothing space jam soundtrack is oh fire God. fire and it was heavy and hip-hop was big on soundtracks like method man has a song on the batman forever soundtrack which is crazy <laughs> the riddler it's crazy um but then there was a song uh called the points and it had biggie Busta Rhymes, Bone Thugs, um, LL, and a and a few other uh, Red Man, and a few other like uh, rappers that are a little bit more obscure because I oh Coolio, and 
it was from the movie Panther, straight up Panther. Dude mm. from um, dude from a different world is in there. Uh, Kadeem Hardison is that his name? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kadeem Hardison in it. Um, dude that played Kane in Menace to Society is in it. Oh, yeah, it's oh, it's mad obscure, and I'm sure you can find it for free on YouTube because it's so like not popping, popping. But that was like, I, I watched it. And I thought it was pretty interesting. I, I watched it when I was like 14, 15. I should probably watch it again. This but it showed cool. like. It showed like Huey and Bobby in Oakland. It showed um, Bobby Hutton getting killed. It showed the whole history of the Panthers. There's also a, um, I found out about this this morning. There's also a documentary about the Oakland Black Panthers directed by Agnes Varda, mm-hmm. who. That's um, a great one. That's a great one. I don't know. I don't know what it aired on, maybe, but I, I, it's, I only know that name, the director's name, because of. Danny uh, Medi again, and he, that's like a director that he's really into. She's a French director, and I guess I always assumed that she was just like this, like artistic, whatever. But she made a movie about the Black Panthers, which is pretty dope. So I, I kind of want to check that out. Um, Jude, I know. I think you said you have one more question. Oh uh, yeah, but I can wait for that at the end because it's kind of like it's not really a question you can answer. Oh, all right. I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm. I think that we are wrapping up. There was um one thing I wanted to say by way of closing uh just about actors is that like obviously Jude, you you frequently said on the show and off that uh obviously we're, we're you feel like we're recycling a lot of black actors but i think going back to the 90s right like and there's a there's a clip i posted um recently on instagram of chadwick boseman talking about this there was a point where like hollywood wasn't even willing to let you know that more than one black person could occupy a film yes uh yeah. at at one time yeah. and uh and and like we still haven't seen Denzel Washington and Lawrence Fishburne in a movie together. Uh, Denzel Washington and Forrest Whitaker in a movie together. No, we have uh, Denzel Washington and Morgan Freeman. Great debaters. Oh, Forrest is in Great Debaters. Yeah, I forgot. Him. Oh, yes, he's the father. That's right. That's right. No, now Denzel and Morgan and Freeman did a movie together. They did Glory. They played Civil War. Oh, I'm yeah. tripping. Right. Yeah. 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 They did that, and uh, Andre Brower, I think, is also in that. But you see what I'm saying? Like. What I, what I believe is that the industry has been trying to replace, like Sidney Poitier came out, mm-hmm. he won the Oscar, and they were like, there can only be one, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that's what usually happens with raced actors mm-hmm. um, or or women even, like, mm-hmm. because you see, like, okay, now Viola Davis is the black Meryl Streep or the black Sigourney Weaver. That's just Viola Davis. She went to Yale just like they did. And I understand why people do that because as human beings, we like to connect things. Um, and it's it's complimentary in some degree because you're saying, oh, I hold her at that level of talent, but it's also annexing her next to this person and saying that like, she, her, she's like an extension of this person rather than being her own, right? Yeah. So I'm saying all to say that I'm, as much as I do want to see new faces every now and then, I'm glad that we're in an era where it's not weird to have Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya in the same movie, yeah. even though they're both big stars in their own right. Mm-hmm. Um, I because, just want to see y'all. I and I appreciate y'all. that. <laughs> I appreciate that. But I, yeah, I, I, I think we're moving towards a time where, um, where we're experiencing a, a, a rainbow coalition, if you will, a rainbow of, coalition. <laughs> of actors of color. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to say that, but I, I'm, I'm interested to hear your rhetorical question. If if we were in William O'Neill's position, what would we do? 
Oh boy. Mm. Oh. And let's put ourselves in the same. We, exactly. We're seventeen. You know, we don't know what has gone on in William O'Neill's life with his parents. We don't know what the fuck they at. But um, what would we do? Juice. We've seen the same. Juice. We've seen the same thing he is. This is the question. This is the question because it's like right. I'm gonna keep it a buck with you guys. I'm I'm doing the same thing as him if I'm 17 and I I'm gonna get, yeah. like I'm gonna get thrown in. Pr- but that's the thing that that's the trick of, I mean it's the trick of America. It's the trick of the movie. Is like mm-hmm. is they have set this kid up to fail. This kid is dead the first time we see him. Like he's it's over. The guy as soon as he walks into that bar. His fate is marked out for him because the country needs him to be damned. You know what I mean? Like so yes. of course all of us all of us is gonna I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but I I would I would be a snitch because I don't want to go to jail. But also at seventeen, you're not thinking about the liberation of every black person if if you're sitting in the police precinct. You know, I've think about your your liberation. Bro, I've been I've this been so- this one black person right here. Dude, yeah. I mean, like, I just remember being 16 and being approached by cops multiple times. Yes. In that moment, you're thinking, I'm going to die. And that's all you're thinking. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, but that's just me. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, uh, Fred Fred Hampton is, is an exception that proves the rule, yeah. which is that he was so beyond his years in terms of maturity and purpose that, like, that's what made him stand out. That's what made him such a threat. But also, to... little, uh, for lack of a word, ignorant with his words. Like, he didn't know how, like, he knew how powerful it was, but he didn't know how real it was. Like, when he said, kill the pigs, do this. I see like, what oh, you I'm mean. Not, and, 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 I'm not right. Getting messed up. But when, you know, Lakeith comes up with the bombs, he's like, they're going to bomb us. Ain't you got your damn mind? We didn't do that right. So you. Th- oh, I see. Like the Im- he's not aware of, of how his words are impacting yeah. other people. He's not necessarily. Yeah, I didn't. I don't. Although, want to be like, yo, you ignorant bastard. No, he's right. Not aware of how powerful he was and how literal people are going to take him. Well, innocent in a way, because he he was. Innocent. I mean, like 20, 20. Yeah, like like the well the the difference between innocence and ignorance is like choice, right? Because I think ignorance starts out as innocence. We're all born not knowing anything, but then as we learn more, if we make a conscious choice to remain in that in, in that lack of knowledge, that's where it becomes ignorance. But I also, think because, but also you're the leader of the Panthers in Chicago, yes. and you should and he was, kind of like be aware. But also, he didn't have a Yoda. He didn't have Huey Newton, phone, Huey Newton's phone number or Bob. No, Huey Newton was in jail. He didn't have like Bobby right. Fields or Angela Davis's phone number right there. Right. You know, he he can't text them right now. Like, yo, I need to say this. Right. But but do you think that I feel like he knew? I mean, I feel like I mean I don't know Fred Hampton personally, but I feel like yeah. I feel like there's there's part of it that he's a he's he, we keep saying he's a kid. He's like our age. He was our age, right? Yeah. Probably mm-hmm. had a power that we don't know what it feels like to have that kind of power. You know what I mean? Like, which is the power right. to be and to be that smart. But like, I think he knew it was his days were numbered, and I think he knew that. His oh, no doubt, have an impact. I, I don't know if he was ignorant of it, but I think in the way like teenagers or young adults are like, I'm ready to go. Like when you're dead, like, yeah, you're like I, I'm boldness on this thing. You know what I mean? Like, bold, I mean, bold. heart. Like I don't want to like, use a negative word like that, but let, let, let's say like heart, like a heart yeah. of a lion, like a gladiator or something. Like I'm gonna go out yeah. for. This. Well, go ahead, Amon. Well, I mean, th- this was this was what he was talking about with the leader of the crown. Like, 
mm. you lead this you lead a a large group of of people like you you have all of these supporters with you and you know he he told him he was like we're all going to like you and I we we're we're going to get shot we're going to we're going to die like one of these days mm. but we have to keep going mm-hmm. we we have to keep going and i i i get it when it's like you 21 years old and you you need to you're leading a large a, a large people that that follow your uh ideologies and, and your and your um and how you move and they and the, those words speak but I, yeah. I also get that you know he probably did not know how much power he had in the words that he said and in the words yeah but I, yeah i i think that's part of the reason that they have that conversation between him and deborah in the bedroom yeah, yeah she, when he finds cool. his poet when he finds her poem said, are you, are you and a bad motherfucker or are you a bad just a bad mother because what am i doing bringing this child into the world when his, its father has a, a ticking uh, a clock over his head, right. you know, and a target on his back, and I think that that served to, if 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 we're supposed to believe that Fred Hampton was just going at um at a hundred miles an hour with no regard for anyone around him, mm-hmm. that scene is there to sober him into into the reality of of the fact that now now you are becoming a father, now you're supposed to shepherd a life, and that's something that like, mm-hmm. I mean. You have to be conscious of, but I also have to be conscious of who I married, so to speak. I have to be conscious of who I, who I'm down, who I'm riding with. So it's a mutual understanding between them. I think that's why that scene is there. Um, but yeah, I, I I agree with Wes, and um, I I mean I, I I knew I I I knew some people in high school that maybe would have would have taken the maybe would have taken the jail time or said they would have taken the jail time, but seventeen year old Justin who had who like the toughest thing I ever had to deal with was when I accidentally closed my pinky in a car door. Oh, and the, but that hurts though. That hurts. It does hurt. It Don't does hurt. That, that hurts, man. No, it hurts. But I mean, like in terms of life stuff, I, w- I was kind of okay by that point. I, you know, six years in prison is like, huh? So right. yeah, that's, it's a good question. And it's a good question to leave right. off on because I think that it, it, I think the only way to make a, an informed judgment such as it is about Bill O'Neill is to understand where he was at, you know, um, in his life and what was up, what he was up against. And then also the larger system of, as Wes said, America that is kind of working against um, young black people in situations like that. So it's it's a good point, but I, I think unless anyone else has any final uh, uh, well, things to say, I mean, I, I for one didn't answer his question. Man. <laughs> oh yeah, <I'm> <laughs> <laughs> my bad. I, I'm not, I thought you were gonna. Be, I punched that cop right in his face, and I walked right out of the interrogation. I duff him in his lip. Seventeen-year-old Ahmad was that was that was junior year of high school. Uh, I was I was doing martial arts in that time, but it was like it was. <laughs> It, 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 it wasn't enough for when I was like, nah, I'm going to take those seven years in prison. I wouldn't even know what prison would be like, and especially in the 60s. And like, yeah, forget about it. Ah, oh, man. It's like, I, I, I'm, it's like all the things I was saying in, in the beginning of this whole podcast. It's like, I, if I was in that situation, I might have to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, it's because it's so hard. Like, we've never been in that situation. You either do Hopefully, we're never in that situation. <laughs> yeah, right. You, you either do six years, or you betray an entire 
and, and an entire party that is for the community for embracing and and um and making sure a certain community is cared for. Um, mm-hmm. and you need to betray your that whole thing, and you and you will be heavily compensated. And then mm-hmm. and you're like, oh my god, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. I, I can just I can have for myself. But question, because I don't think we brought this up. Mm. When it came to Lil Rel's character at the bar, oh my gosh. that was dope. I, I was like, I love Lil Rel. I said, I said, none of us really brought this up yet. I was like, you're right, you're right. Because so, I saw his name in the credits, and I was like, what is he doing in this movie? Yeah, and then I he popped up, and that was great. So I was like, he, he was like, oh, you know, I want you to to slip this in in, in his drink there. He was like, bro, like who are you? And so he was like, oh, I, I thought you was that. I thought you said that FBI agent. And so he went to a car mm-hmm. and all that. He gave him the badge, and I said, "His own badge." I said, "No, bro." I want to know if that actually happened, mm. because at that moment, I I just that could have been one of Mitchell's other informants. That could have been what they were hinting oh, obviously, at. Obviously, obviously, yeah. but a pimp. <laughs> but like, remember, remember, when, remember when it was it was Judy? They, they were in the car with each other and all that, and he was like, "Oh, like who, whose car did you say?" He was like, "I sold it off for some pimp." And so I don't know. That was, and in my head, it was a theory in my head. I said, "Wait, was that the pimp right. stole?" And so he decided to take uh, his badge or something like. I don't know. I don't know. They traded. Yo, very nice reincorporation. Right. <laughs> I didn't think about that now. Lil Rel's fantastic. Speaking of, yeah, like you Lil said, Lil Rel's Wes, a better actor than Kevin Hart any day. Of the week, I was about so. to say. I mean, I don't want to say it, but yeah. yeah. I don't have to say it. You are Why, they had three Get Out guys in it. The three major guys in Get Out. They, they. You're absolutely right. Yeah, bro. I, I, You're I, absolutely I, right. Jordan Peele sitting there like this, like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the audience can't see, but because there's there's the sun is setting, Jude just sat back in complete darkness because <laughs> he's backlit. He looked like a supervillain. <laughs> it was fantastic. He looked like Thanos in space. Oh. Um, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. Uh, which you know what, this isn't the podcast, but, <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I feel like with the final words, like I, I definitely feel like I would have done the, the exact same thing because yes. zero mind is, is too is too pure and it's too vulnerable um, for anything like that to be put in a situation which is so which can it shifts history itself. Yeah, mm-hmm. like what he and did shifted history. You're not even aware of the scale of what it is you're doing, right? And he's not the only like minor to be um, recruited by the cops. There's um, yo, I found this out yesterday, and I'm I have to just bring this up. There was um, Richard Aoki was a Japanese uh, uh, re- uh revolutionary um in, in the '60s out in the West Coast. He armed mm. the Panthers. The FBI had him as um, an informant. The dude who gave the Panthers their guns was an informant for the FBI. Yeah, that's man. crazy. Mm. So he that- also shot himself in 2009. Oh my gosh! And I think there was this um there there was a a journalist forgot the journalist's name, but he he was talking to him and he was like what. There's recordings, and he sued the FBI to get all the there's four thousand four or five thousand pages of of um information from the um from his time as an informant, 
the FBI is still yet to put those out. And he won a case against the FBI to get this out. But they're like, uh, we don't really got to put this out. Like, what are you talking about? But, yo, just the fact that they're taking minors, children. Like, yeah, they're young adults, 17 or whatever. Just because, you know, you you can, you know, get a girl pregnant, don't make you a don't make you an adult. Oh, man. And, and yeah, and my sister just turned 18. Like, like, best believe that, you know, like, that's kind of the, the metric that I use whenever I think about young people is my younger people than I am. Where we are is my sister, who just turned 18 a few weeks ago would t- would be completely in over her head in a situation like this yeah you know so yeah it's that's it's a question worth asking and it's a question that the film definitely leaves you with among others um but if all hearts and minds are clear i think that's a wrap for us today beloveds if you want more uptown love you can find us on spotify apple google iHeartRadio, and youtube follow us on instagram and twitter at hbo pod and listen through our back catalog this is our 22nd episode yes, we're keeping yes, the train rolling i want to thank west for coming clubhouse. on so we have weekly off off the record uh or well they're, they're kind of weekly it's whenever we feel like it conversations uh on clubhouse on different topics that and you might hear me you know ahmad jude loosen up a bit maybe maybe we'll say some things that we wouldn't say otherwise you know um but yeah i want to thank west for joining us um it was a lot of fun having you back on sir thanks for having me and um once again i'll plug the media morgue a soon coming film analysis podcast that west is co-hosting with me along with our friend danny Metti and zach palomo kicking off some time in the spring better than double toasted it's better than um Few things are better than double toasted. I don't want to. In case Corey Goodwin ever hears this, uh, well, we Corey appreciate you. Go- Corey Goodwin can get the heat. That's I so love it. We can get the heat. Blow up. Someone's gonna find these podcasts and they're gonna be like, they're gonna go through all your opinions about everything. Oh, right. Totally do that. That's, that's exactly say, what's gonna happen. I'll definitely say that Cameron is the best rapper out of New York. I'll say that. And like, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you. Favorite rapper, Justin. Huh? Did you say Little Yachty is your favorite rapper? Isn't that? Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> nah. I thought. I thought. I thought Jennifer Lopez was uh, Justin's favorite singer. Oh yes. Don't do that either. Oh my god. Y'all funny. Y'all funny. This is why I'm editing. The, I'm ending the podcast. Um, <laughs> we will be back in March with two episodes. Stay tuned for updates on those. As always, stay safe. Whoa, sir, 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 sir. sir. Songs of the week. Oh, yeah. Oh, we got through this whole depressing ass movie. My bad. We're all mad and shit. Black people getting shot. My bad. My bad. Let's do let's do songs of the week. My bad. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking about this is going on two hours. I'm thinking about what I'm what I'm what we gonna do with Buzzsprout if they start yelling at us. Yeah. So, <laughs> they, they can um I don't know. Break it into two. We'll figure it out. But uh Wes, you're our break, guest. What, what's your <laughs> What's your song of the week? Uh, uh, I had, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I thought you said West. Wesley Snipes. Did Wesley say West, yeah. Snipes, go ahead. Uh, 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 I've been, uh, I, I had to edit uh, a sizzle reel today or this week mm. uh, for a project I was doing. And the, the song behind it was Goodnight Gotham by Rihanna, which is like the weird, like last track on anti the greatest albums come out in the last 10 years. Uh, and yeah that is a go. big statement wow it is. It, it, that album is perfect and then she decided to not make music anymore 
So <laughs> listen, that Fenty is hitting. It is. Shorty. She kind of she kind of pulled a Lauren Hill. And you know what? She kind of said, "Here's this, and and I'm and I'm done." <laughs> Minus the tax evasion. Good night, Gotham. Though that's a that's a good pick, uh, Ahmad. Uh, for one, I can say that. Uh, oh Lord, I, ju- I just had the song in in my thing. Oh my goodness. Okay, my phone is messing with me. So, um, I was <laughs> the, the 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 song that I had on there was uh, it's called "Save Me" by Remy Zero. And if people should know, because they probably watched this show called Smallville back in the day, it's the theme yes. song. It's the theme song for, for for the show. Shout out to my baby bird, uh, cause her home, cause she and I we were just listening to it the other day, and it's fire. So save me. And also, I'm adding another one, um, Cardigan by Don, by Don Tolliver. I I did two. What you gonna do? Um, nothing about it, but I just want to know: Is Baby Bird a code name for for your lady? Uh, maybe. Understandable. Um, we'll talk about that on class. <laughs> off the record. Off the record. Uh, Jude. <laughs> Yo, I've been listen. I've been too gangster like this whole podcast. Like mm. all, all you hear is do 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 do. So, can you stand the rain by a new edition? Yes, sir. It's classic. The way Johnny Gill hits the oh, it's, it's insane. Like, and then I gotta hit it with a uh, uh, quicksand by Moray. Yes, it's like okay. That yo, that joint is fire. I was like, what? Yeah, very nice. Like, um, it's the first uh, ad on YouTube of a music video, and I'm like, I'm watching this whole ad. Like, <laughs> <laughs> may as well. Um. I'll just use one for this week, even though I've been listening to a lot of stuff, but uh, it's Access Denied by Lucky Day and Ari Lennox um, off of his new EP, Table for Two, which was kind of underwhelming for me, um, but I did really like that song because Ari Lennox, I'll listen to anything that she sings. Um, so. Yo, be careful. Watch your mouth, man. Watch your mouth, man. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know who's listening, huh? You know who's listening. <laughs> Relax. Relax. And... On that note, <laughs> now we've gotten out of the way. Thank you very much for listening. Be easy. Deuces. Love and chicken grease. Peace, homies. <laughs> <laughs>